This is Dennis Ramani. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg, author of The Life of Yogananda, the story of the yogi who became the first modern guru. Uh, uh, our guest today on Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com, is uh, Tammy Simon. Uh, in 1985, at the age of 22, Tammy founded Sounds True, a multimedia publishing company dedicated to disseminating spiritual wisdom. Uh, that company has become uh, tremendously successful, and she has done a, a fantastic job of disseminating informa information about spiritual development and uh, procedures and techniques for spiritual development uh, worldwide. Thank you so much, Tammy, for taking the time to come on with us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for inviting and, me. And I should also say she hosts a very successful podcast. Uh, and more about that uh, in the interview, and we'll have all of this information about Tammy posted up. Uh, Phil, question. Okay. Tammy, would you fill our audience in on uh, your own spiritual background and what led to the uh, creation of Sounds True? Sure. Well, my own spiritual background was that I was on a very passionate search for meaning and for a way to feel fully alive as a young teenager. And I started reading books like Siddhartha by Herman Hesse and The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts <laughs> and books by Rainer Maria Rilke as a young searching teenager. And these books were very, very important to me. And as a result, I decided I wanted to be a philosophy major, study the meaning of life. I went to Swarthmore College and in my sophomore year, ended up in the religion department, studying the life and teachings of the great mystics. That's what was the most alive for me. And I thought any mystic worth their salt wouldn't get a degree in mysticism. So I left college. You could say I, I dropped out or I dropped into some type of vein of inner knowing. And I went to India, Sri Lanka, Nepal for a year, and I discovered the practice of meditation. At the time, I was studying with Goenka, a wow. Burmese meditation master who taught Vipassana meditation. And at that point, I dedicated my life to bringing the inner practices of meditation, contemplation, prayer, self-reflection to as many people as possible. And that was really the seed that was to become Sounds True. When I came back to the United States, my parents begged me to finish my degree but instead, I went out to Boulder, Colorado, where I was able to briefly study at Naropa University. I wanted to understand the psychology of meditation. And soon after that, I started a volunteer radio show where I was interviewing spiritual teachers. Hmm. And Sounds True really came out of those early interviews that I did. Hmm. And what was the first uh, product of Sounds True? You know, the ones I remember with the teachers, the teachers who were popular at that time in the mid-1980s, uh, Ram Dass and Stephen Levine, those were really two of the, the main teachers at that time. And, and they were audio I had my, They were, yeah, everything was on audio cassette, indeed. Right. Right. Tammy, I wanted to ask, uh, I'm curious, uh, Phil and I are older than you. Uh, and uh, we, 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 we went to school. I, I, I checked, so I know uh, we're older than everyone. Uh, and uh, we, we, uh, we went to school at a time, and I'm, when I school, I mean college, 
when uh, there was a lot of spiritual seeking, it was very in vogue, meditation, uh, you know, uh, the hippie era. Uh, you started and you were in school later than that. I, I'm going to guess like the, the, the first half of the 80s, uh, 85, 83, that yeah. period of time. Yeah. So during that period of time, there, it seemed like um, there weren't as many people aggressively pursuing uh, spirituality as when Phil and I were in uh, in school. Were you a loner? Were, were there other people? Were you part of a group? Or did you find yourself, you know, I don't care what everybody else is into right now. I'm into this. I'm going to pursue this. I know people used to go to the 60s back in the time of Baba Ramdas and all, and, 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 and that period in the 80s, 60s and early 70s. But uh, I, it's still relevant to me, and I'm going to pursue this. Where yeah. were you at? I, and, and were there others? Did you have contemporaries? Well, I, I no, I really thought of myself in a way as I was uh, the fringe on the fringe, and I kind of fell off the fringe. So I, I, I was pretty much of a loner and experienced myself as quite an outsider. I was fortunate at Swarthmore that in my sophomore year, teaching on a Fulbright scholarship was a Buddhist religion professor from Sri Lanka mm. named Gunapala Dharmasiri. And he was teaching a course in Buddhism and existentialism and also in Buddhist ethics. And I took his courses and he and I became fast friends. And it was through being in relationship with him and his family and spending many, many nights going to his house and having uh, long discussions that I knew that I wanted to go to Sri Lanka where he lived when he left at the end of his one-year scholarship as a teacher and continue uh, studying Buddhism and, and specifically the practice of meditation. But I was a unique student. Right. Phil, yeah. I wanted to ask a follow-up question on that. So, so I understand wh where you got your enthusiasm and uh, 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 motivation to uh, intellectually to pursue spiritual path. Was, was there any point where you had uh, uh, an experience, something experiential sure. in meditation or whatever that said, sure. you know what, well, yeah. I am so glad I'm so doing this. It, yeah. First of all, it wasn't just intellectual. I mean, yes, it was reading these books, but I mean, I remember when I was 16 years old and I read Siddhartha's experience of enlightenment by the river and the sound of the river and what woke up in him as a direct experience of flowing impermanence and how that river sound felt in his body in the writing. I felt that. It wasn't just some like idea or something. I felt that. And I felt it as the truest thing I'd ever seen reflected back to me. And I was so grateful because suddenly for a moment, I didn't feel so alone. I felt that there was a writer named Herman Hess who knew something about ultimate matters that reflected back the deepest hunger inside of me. And I felt that with a lot of the books I read. And I think my own early experiences probably came from a couple of early LSD magic mushroom experiences that I had mm -hmm. when I was, you know, an 11th, 12th grader in high school. And then also when I, the very first times I started meditating and just right away uh, sitting on the floor and being in my body, I experienced big open spaces of eternity and a sense of time stopping and stepping into a type of boundless space 
And that felt like an immediate homecoming to me. I didn't understand it. I didn't really have a context for it. And at the same time, I knew that it was what I'd been looking for my whole life. And there was a feeling of, I mentioned being an outsider, there was a feeling of belonging, mm. belonging to that feeling of eternity, where finally, for a moment, I felt something that could be called, you know, the peace that surpasses understanding. So it really wasn't intellectual, it was finding words for an inner experience that uh, I, I, I was just hopeful meant that I could be here, I could be alive as a human being, and that uh, I would find the kind of deep fulfillment that I knew I needed as a person that I wasn't seeing reflected to me in the conventional world. Well That's so interesting because, as Dennis said, uh, we went through those kind of experiences probably 15, 20 years before you, but you had the same influences. The books you mentioned were books right. we read, the drug experiences, all that. It's fascinating how it, it, these things repeat themselves, or history rhymes, as they say. Uh, Tammy, you, you, you've, over the course of years with Sounds True, you've... Uh, had um, in, interactions with some of the leading uh, spiritual teachers uh, who have uh, made products for, for Sounds True. Um, I'm curious if you would reflect on the, what is it now, more than 30 years, I guess, of uh, Sounds yeah. True. Um, what have you learned? How have you seen the, um, well, let, let me put it more specifically. How have you seen the spiritual landscape change over, over that time? Well, these are big, big yeah. questions. So it's been 34 years, and I think one of the things I learned early on was that knowing and being able to touch into timeless eternity and infinite space does not do the whole job in terms of the transformation of the person and the person becoming someone who knows how to be in an intimate relationship in a balanced, loving, harmonious, honoring way with brilliant and fair communication it doesn't transform a person in terms of their work life and teamwork and what it means to really be part of a healthy organization. And it doesn't do all the work in terms of turning one into a citizen and what it means to give back at a collective and social level and be part of the transformation of the world. And it doesn't answer all your questions about physical health either and everything you need to know about having a healthy diet and how exercise helps to create a human vessel and vehicle that's in really good shape and can really be a wisdom vehicle for a person. So one of the things I learned is that I have to take a multi-pronged approach and learn from a lot of different types of teachers and recognize that every teacher and every teaching is partial. And that's okay. It's okay. It's not a problem, actually. And if I feel critical of this teacher or this teaching because it emphasizes this thing and leaves this other part out, I don't need to spend a lot of time on that. Instead, I can say, 
I will be a very multifaceted person who draws the best intelligence, the best teachings from the various teachers and teachings I come into contact with and put that all into my own inner laboratory and become a well-balanced person in all of those domains. And the other thing is that it's endless. There's no end to the deepening of human maturity. And I like that word, I think, even better, human maturity, than something like spiritual realization or liberation Mm -hmm. or something like that. But instead that we keep maturing and that really the test of our maturity is the quality of our relationships and the quality of our contribution, how we impact other people and the importance of having that reflected back to us and learning from whatever feedback we get, always being a learner. All right, Tammy. Wonderful. Uh, what is your, currently, if you don't mind sharing with us, what is your like daily spiritual practice and has that practice or practices changed over the years or is there one routine that you've uh, mostly stuck with? My practice has definitely changed. For about 15 years, I focused very heavily on working with embodiment practices within a Tibetan Buddhist lineage. Mm -hmm. At this point in my life, though, what I currently focus on is something that I would call, you ready for this? It's very (laughs) personal. It's not not something outside of myself. But it's something like being true. Being Mm -hmm. true. Am I in this moment attuned to what's actually happening inside of me? Am I listening? Am I responding? Am I in a truthful, authentic place internally with myself? And if not, what do I need? What's needed right here in this moment? And it's a type of ongoing practice. It's not some specific official practice period where I breathe in this way or say this mantra or do that. It's more of an ongoing moment-by-moment inquiry into the actual truth of the moment and what's asked of me. And we should add, since you set it up, um, that Being True is the name of your own audio series on uh, published by Sounds True. So, um, yeah, it's a, little, it's a little audio program I made to try to describe my process. And one of the features, according to the uh, website of, of the uh, program, is you describe your most transformative encounters with spiritual teachers, which is one of the questions I had for you, which is, um, if you could, and you don't have to name names, what was the most uh, transformative or illuminating encounter with all the teachers you've met? And if you would, what was the most uh, disappointing or uh, disillusioning? Sure. Good question. Well, let, we'll start with the disappointing, and I'm not going to name <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure you're category. You don't have to not name us. Category, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the most disappointing thing was early on just realizing how uneven certain people's development can be. So they can be very developed and clear and helpful and beneficial when they're sitting in the teacher's chair. But that doesn't mean that that person is going to be kind and 
well-balanced and fair-minded when you're doing a contract negotiation <laughs> with them, perhaps. Or when you hear them over, uh, when you overhear them talking to their assistant or something like that. And that was all very disillusioning to me in the early days, which is why I think this notion of everyone being partial and finding a way to learn from people, even in their uneven development, was a necessity, uh, a necessity for me. Uh, but that was hard. It was really hard, especially in the early days. It was really disappointing. Yeah. And it's really what made me put the locus of responsibility on myself, not looking out, but looking in. And then I would say what I've learned the most about from other people isn't so much their teachings, the actual words and lessons and ideas, but it's people's presence. And early on, I developed this notion of what it was like to sit with spiritual teachers, almost as if I was sitting with them from the neck down. And what I mean by that is just to open all the way, open all the cells of my body, open the pores of my skin, and see if I could resonate and feel what they were feeling while they were teaching, a type of communion, if you will, and how much I could learn about awakening through that, through a feeling dimension, not so much a, a mental processing dimension. So that's really how I've learned the most is being with, sitting with, communing. Mm -hmm. uh, Tammy, if uh, somebody uh, comes to you, and uh, it probably happens, and says, look, uh, I've never been on a spiritual path, uh, but I think I'm inspired now. I'd like to be on one. Where do I start? Hmm, good question. I might first find out what they love. Mm -hmm. What do they naturally love? Do they love walking in the woods? Do they love sitting quietly? Do they love working on a project with other people? Are they interested in inquiry and journal writing and inner investigation? And, you know, I think so much of it is finding the way in for people because spiritual work is hard. At a certain point, it's kind of counterintuitive. Our intuition says to us, let's be comfortable. But spiritual work, at least from my perspective, requires that we encounter the really painful experiences inside so that we can move through them and not move around them. Mm -hmm. So people have to have a, a love and a feel for what they're doing. It has to call to you. And then I think it requires a certain amount of experimentation. That's where I think a company like Sounds True, and I'm not saying that much trying to toot our horn as to say that we give people the chance to taste a lot of different possible pathways in and see what's resonant. Where do you go? God, I love that. I love the Christian idiom and the practice of contemplative prayer. You know, you just mention uh, the story of the crucifixion and resurrection, and I'm inspired by that. I want to surrender and melt into that. That's how some people feel, and that's mm -hmm. fabulous. That's wonderful. Other people like me, I didn't want any uh, framework, really. I wanted to go through whatever my direct experience was without any symbolic language, without any mantras, anything. I just wanted to see what's here now, what's true now. 
So I needed a, a much more open type of path. But believe me, that's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, Tammy, um, I remember uh, when I was first ex- uh, uh, aware of the audio series that you were doing at Sounds True, and I thought, oh, this is great. There's a a uh, company on the cutting edge because audio is going to be the the thing. And then at a certain point, Sounds True started publishing books. And I remember thinking, oh, that's an interesting thing. It seems to be going in reverse because, you know, at the time, you know, I've been writing books since the the 70s. And there were times when everybody thought the, the publishing world is at an end and books on spirituality were, you know, being co-opted by all the major houses and people like my my late great friend Jeremy Tarcher were you know uh, no longer the only game in town and then there you were doing books what was that decision like and why did you make it and obviously it was a good one yeah it wasn't to be honest so much strategic as it was the continued organic unfolding and rising foment of the, sometimes I call Sounds True a worthy experiment. And mm-hmm. I continue to believe that. First of all, when we started with the audio programs, we weren't recording books on tape. At the time, in the mid-80s, books on tape were just coming into being. Right. I, I didn't particularly have any kind of love for books on tape, not at all. Mm-hmm. What I loved was listening to a great Dharma teacher. Mm-hmm. To me, there was nothing like hearing a lecture by someone like Alan Watts or Ram Dass. I was just like, wow, I could listen to Ram Dass talk, you know, for hours and hours and hours and hours. Whereas the hearing of a book on tape, it felt kind of canned to me, scripted, mm. didn't feel alive mm. in the same way. So Sanskrit really came out of that tradition of teaching through Dharma talks. The Tibetan Buddhist lineage that I was a part of, they called their teachings the ear-whispered lineage, that there's something that happens when a teacher, and it's just a, a, a image really whispers into a student's ear, because the communication has a completeness to it, a wholeness. You hear the tone of voice, you hear the pauses, you, you get a full communication, not just language, but the embodied tonal quality of the communication. So that's how I fell in love early on with audio as a spiritual teaching mechanism. And then Soundstreet started discovering a lot of teachers who were just in the beginning as they were rising in the culture. And they started asking me, the authors we were working with, uh, do you know, do you have a book publisher you would recommend? And so Uh Soundstreet became a kind of a fishing ground, if you will, for all kinds of publishers. They'd get our catalog, they immediately contact a bunch of the new presenters we were publishing on audio. Those people would get book contracts. And mm. Sounds True was nowhere monetized in the formula. And I was like, wait a second, we're doing a lot <laughs> of the early work. We're finding the talent, we're creating a title and a package and a positioning statement for their work and then they're going off to publish their books other places, maybe we should try doing this. Mm -hmm. And then one of our authors had five self-published books, and 
he was selling quite a few of them and he'd self and he said, you know, Tammy, my own little self publishing company can't afford to keep these books in print. Would you do it for me? And I'm uh, like, okay, let's start. Let's do it. And that's how we got into it originally. Wow. Wow. Uh, we're going to have to wrap it up in a minute here. Uh, Tammy, uh, any final points that you'd like to make with, for our listeners? Uh, yeah, your heart knows so much about what you need next, the kind of teacher you need, and the part of your life where the most important growth is for you. And even if it's hard, go do it. Great, great advice. <laughs> well, I want to I want to uh, say thank you to Tammy, not just for taking the time to be with us today, but for uh, 30 years or more of a, a, a very important contribution to the spiritual landscape and for uh, providing our podcast with several of our uh, most uh, favorite authors to have interviewed. So yeah. thanks, Tammy. So, yeah, and, and certainly Wonderful. because because of your work. Thousands upon thousands of people, I mean, there's no exaggeration in all these years, have found themselves on a spiritual life uh, a path and had a more spiritual life and, and elevated their existence. So great work. We need more people like you. Thank you so much. And I hope you can come on again sometime. Wonderful. Many blessings. Thank you. Thanks.